Well, good morning, everybody. Glad that you're here. We want to welcome our online community as well. We're always grateful for your presence and hope this time will be a joy for you. As we continue this journey called Love Handles, I know that's a strange title, and if you were with us last week, we talked a little bit about that, but Love Handles are what we bring with us every day, right? And, but they're also the gift that God can handle all that we face in our lives. God's love handles all this richness. Relationships, I know you know, are challenging and a gift all at the same time. We love our marriages, we cherish our spouses, uh, and yet sometimes there are challenges to it, right? And so we, we have tried to own that and recognize that in this series called Love Handles to, to realize that God can handle any of these circumstances we may face, that God's love is stronger than our human love, that God's love can uh, overcome the problems that we may be facing, and certainly God's love can help us celebrate the joys and the blessings of a marital relationship. We're reminded of what Paul said to the church at Corinth, right, in 1 Corinthians 13 that just says, quite literally, that love never gives up. Love never loses faith. It always hopes, and it endures all things. The beautiful part of that is that it helps remind us that love is work, but it's work well worth living, right? And that God's love sort of hovers over and supersedes all of the things that we may understand going on in our marriage life, and the gift that God can provide is that sustenance and that help and that encouragement that guides us through the way. Well, last week as we started this series, we reminded ourselves that there are some good tools that we can rely on that are great resources to help guide us in relationship. We found them from the Gottman Institute, G-O-T-T-M-A-N, and the book, Seven Principles for How to Make a Marriage Work. And those seven principles were amazing, and the Gottman Institute continues to provide phenomenal resources for married people. I mentioned last week that they, they have a statistical analysis that they can prove that 91% of the time, listen to that statistic, 91% of the time they can tell whether a marriage is going to last or not. Those are pretty good odds, wouldn't you say? And therefore, the, sh the wisdom that they share is very helpful. Just on a high note, some of the principles we learned last week were um, know your spouse, right? Know what inspires them. Know what makes them tick. Know what gets them up in the morning. Know them. Know them intimately and understand who they are. Create a sense of admiration for them, right? Because admiration means I cherish you. I, I love you. I want to spend my days with you, and I honor you, right? The other was to turn towards our spouse. And of course, all that really means is be present, <laughs> be there for them, be there when they're down, be there when they're celebrating, help them to know that you will always be with them. And then the fourth one, of course, that we learned last week was that we ought to realize that our spouse can actually influence us. I talked just after the 930 with some folks. Um, they happened to be Kay and I's uh, youth sponsors when we were in youth ministry 50 years ago, right? And they're now here uh, worshiping with us. And, and one of them said to me, you know, Kay has influenced you well over the years. <laughs> Thanks for that, right? But it is, it's a gift. We need to allow that because each of us brings something unique and good and right to the relationship. And so we need to realize that our spouses can positively influence us. We're not in this alone. Well, again, there are several other resources from that book, and I, I remind you that in the TMUMC app that's on your phone, those resources from last week are still there in the digital bulletin. When you click on digital bulletin, the resources will be there or the huddle guide uh, from last week. 
These are the things that work. These are the things that help us stay in a healthy marital relationship, and we want to celebrate that. And so part of what we acknowledge is we've, we celebrate and lift high those things that are helpful and positive, and this week we turn to those things that we need to avoid, things that are damaging and harmful to a relationship, in fact, things that could even lead to a divorce. And so our goal today is to try to identify some biblical principles that can guide us to deter ourselves from divorce. Divorce is a hard life lesson, right? Divorce is a difficult thing to go through. I know there are many in this room and many people we know, whether family or friend or work colleague or neighbor, who've gone through divorce. And divorce is always a grieving set of circumstances. We grieve what was, we grieve what we had hoped for, we grieve what the future holds. When we go through a divorce, it is always difficult. And a part of what we want to acknowledge today is that as a community of faith, we want to be there for those who may find themselves going through that or having been through that. You know, we value radical love here. We value human beings. We envision a community, in fact, where people matter and brokenness can be healed and love can be lived. And so if you have faced divorce already in your life or you may be on the fringes of a divorce right now in your marital relationship, we want you to know that God loves you and that we love you and that we want to be a, a help and a resource for you. But we also know divorce is real. Statistically, in America, a, a half of all marital relationships end in divorce. Does that not shock you? Half of all marriages end in divorce. Now, my gut tells me that we've got a lot of folks who've lasted a long time in relationships, and we want to celebrate that, and we want to honor that, and we want to be there to help people who have faced divorce or are going through it today. And a part of what we realize is, is that um, divorce is not what um, God desires. That's just the truth. God desires that a marriage that was committed to would be connected and would remain. But we also know there are human circumstances, and there are difficulties that we face and issues that arise that might cause a divorce. And we want to recognize that those can often be very real and very tangible and can cause great heartache for whoever may be facing them. And so we want to first just own that. We want to recognize that divorce happens, but we want to also uh, recognize that we want to do everything within our power to help people not get there. If there's any way possible, we would like to do that. Because if there's one thing I know, God is in this with us, and God is often grieved by separation or broken relationships or broken vows. And so part of our goal is to help people move through that and help identify the richness of God's love. So today I want to focus on what might be some resources that can help us deter divorce, stay away from divorce, and acknowledge as well how it is we can be helpful as a community of faith. And so I want to turn to Jesus' teachings on divorce. And Jesus' teaching on divorce is very clear, it's very straightforward, and it's hard to wrap our minds around because it is so straightforward. We find it in Matthew's gospel in the fifth chapter, and it's set among several different teachings of Jesus that are very straightforward and very clear, and likewise very difficult to wrap our minds around. So you may know, of course, that Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is a part of what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. 
These are Jesus' core teachings on how to be faithful and how to live life and how to be committed to Christ. And in chapter 5, we find both the Beatitudes, which are those beautiful imageries of what God's kingdom will look like if we each live into those uh, Beatitudes. And then the second half of chapter 5 are specific teachings from Jesus about all kinds of things, how we should treat our enemies, praying for them, right? How we should commit to vows, that our word ought to be our word, let your yes be yes and let your no be no. How to, how to handle revenge and how revenge takes shape in our lives. And, of course, how to address divorce. And all of them are very straightforward teachings, not the least of which is what Jesus says here. So I want to read it, and then I want to talk just a little bit about it. Jesus is speaking here in chapter 5, beginning in verse 31. You have heard the law that says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. That's pretty straightforward, right? It only takes a couple of sentences. It's very clear that we ought not get divorced except for one specific reason, infidelity. And yet, what we also need to address is uh, there are certain things in, in, in the context in which Jesus is speaking this. The first is uh, the Hebrew people discovered early on that uh, men in particular were divorcing their wives for any number of reasons. I just don't like you. Uh, you don't cook well. Uh, you're not serving my needs. Uh, you're not taking care of me. And they were just divorcing them. So when the Torah came, the Torah being the law, it was very clear that we needed some, some guidelines, some boundaries, right? And so we established through the Torah and Deuteronomy that we need to issue a certificate of divorce. You need to have a good reason, a valid reason, and you need to issue that certificate so that everybody knows, so that there would be some order out of the chaos that was going on where men were abandoning their wives and they were literally the wives being left uh, on the roadside or uh, unprepared or un. Um, able to take care of themselves. So the law came to help for that. That's what the law does every time, bring order out of chaos and to help guide us towards a positive path. By the time of Jesus' day, Jesus comes to fulfill the law, right? He's not coming to abandon the law. He's coming to fulfill what it is that God intended from the law. But what they had began to discover was these certificates, sure enough, were being issued and they were doing it in the legal fashion but they were still divorcing their wives for no good reason. I just don't like you. I don't want to live with you. I don't love you. I don't want to spend time with you. But they were still abiding by the law. And so Jesus, in trying to fulfill the law, says, look, you can create all kinds of excuses you want. You can think up in your head anything you want, but there's really only one reason why we ought to get divorced. And it's a pretty good reason, right? Adultery, infidelity, tears at a vow, breaks a relationship, causes great harm in a relationship. So Jesus is trying to be very clear and straightforward. This is what dictates the reason for divorce. Now, it seems pretty reasonable, even though it seems a bit harsh, right? Golly, there's no other reason. There's no other possibility, not, not abuse, not neglect, not, not any other harsh thing. I don't know if Jesus didn't know about those things or didn't care about those things or they weren't priority, if you will, uh, in a patriarchal society. But Jesus is trying to bring order out of chaos. The other thing we need to know in terms of the context is Jesus is speaking only to men, 
and only women are the, uh, the, the cursors here, right? It, it says it very clearly. If a woman does this, it's wrong. It doesn't say that a man should, could or couldn't do it. It doesn't address male infidelity at all because there was no way that they, they tracked that because men were considered separate from women. And so the, the, the law that Jesus is fulfilling is really only valid uh, for the man to, to protect the woman. And he's also offering what we might refer to as a, a justice issue. He's making sure that no one can divorce their wives and just kick them out on the street. Because again, in a patriarchal society, if a woman got divorced, she had no resources. She had no way to provide for herself. If family wouldn't take her in, she was literally out on the street. She might even take up prostitution, which was a common way to do that, to simply take care of herself. Jesus was trying to issue a, a way forward that would be just for women. He didn't understand some of the ramifications we see today, like abuse or neglect or any other uh, deeply flawed relationship. But what we need to also honor is this is Jesus' word. And he's calling us to a specific form of behavior. And in particular, he's identifying that we must be together, that we must be 100% committed to each other, and that we must be committed to the relationship itself and nothing else. And so that's why I want to spend some time today talking about some behaviors or some issues that could lead to divorce, that could cause us to break our vows or to lead us down a pathway that is not helpful. And I'm going to rely on the Gottman Institute again because they just have some phenomenal wisdom. And they're going to talk about four behaviors that we can live into, uh, rather we can avoid, that will help us avoid or deter divorce. Now, in the Gottman Institute, they have a funny name for this group of, of four uh, behaviors that I find fascinating. They call them the four horsemen of the apocalypse. You heard that phrase before? From the book of Revelation, the four horsemen are those who are going to call in the apocalypse and call in the end of what we know and that things will be radically different and radically changed. And, and so part of what we need to know is the four horsemen are behaviors we want to avoid because they can actually lead to divorce. In fact, uh, Gottman would claim he can identify very precisely which behaviors will literally lead to divorce. So let's talk about some of these behaviors so that we can deter this grievous issue, if at all possible, right? The first behavior that uh, uh, the first horseman that uh, Gottman calls is criticism. We need to avoid criticism. Now, here's an interesting thing. Uh, you, you say to yourself or think to yourself, golly, there are things I want to talk to my spouse about that I might get a little critical about. But let's distinguish between complaining and criticism. Complaining is simply identifying there's something I don't like. I, I don't like what you said. I, I don't like what's going on. I don't like how this is working. This isn't uh, functioning well for me. That's a complaint, and it's about the behavior. Criticism, on the other hand, goes right to the person. I don't like you. You have caused this problem. This is because of what you have done. Do you feel the finger? There's a criticism is going towards the person and being critical of who they are as a person. Complaining is identifying we need to work on something, but identifying that there's a different way forward. Now, 
Criticism, uh, sometimes we look at it this way. When we're uh, uh, disciplining our child and they've done something wrong, they've broken the rules, we don't say you're a bad kid. At least I hope you don't. Rather, we say what you've done is wrong. This behavior is unacceptable. And so criticism is very much about the person, and we don't want to do that. We don't want to make the issue that we're talking about about the person. We want to make it about the behavior because that's what we want to work on. That's what we want to correct, right? Well, millennia ago, the Proverbs writer in the book of Proverbs had lots of wisdom along these same lines. Uh, And in Proverbs 15, he literally says, a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words makes tempers fly. There's probably no harsher words than you are wrong and you are the problem and you need to correct this, right? You can just feel it. You can feel somebody tapping on your chest and it's not helpful, but a gentle word can help diffuse. And so Gottman offers a solution to criticism. And the solution to criticism he refers to as a gentle start. Okay, so we've got an issue. We need to address it, right? We're, we're not on the same page. Things are not going well. So what is a gentle start to address the issue? The most simple way that the Gottman Institute identifies it is that we need to use what are called I statements. You heard of I statements? I struggle when this happens. I don't understand why this is happening. I wonder why this is going on, right? You see, I'm not saying you, and I'm not metaphorically pointing a finger at you. I'm identifying what I am struggling with, whatever it is, and we own that it's my deal, but I want to work on it. I want to help, right? So the gentle start identifies the issue, but it also says, I I get it, and I'd like to do something about it. That's a gentle start. There's great wisdom in gentle responses to difficult issues. The Proverbs writer pointed that out. The second horseman is hard, Um, and Gottman will tell us that it literally is the number one predictor of moving towards a divorce. The second horseman of the apocalypse he refers to as contempt, contempt. Now, that's not a word we often use, right? What he means by this is, I somehow feel as though I'm better than you. I will never really say that, and I will never really sort of identify that, but I will do it with snide remarks or belittling comments or deep sarcasm or things that cut at who you are because I have contempt for you. I, I don't really appreciate you. I don't acknowledge that with my behaviors, right? That's contentment. And it creates heartache, and it creates feeling less than. And I know we don't ever really intend to do this. At least I pray to God we don't. We don't intend to harm our spouse. But we can often uh, get to the point where we feel as though, either in the moment or through the life of the relationship, that somehow I'm the better spouse, and you're not really as worthy as me. Now, I'm, I'm here to tell you, I've never heard anybody say that out loud or, or sort of acknowledge that in any public way, but by the way we interface, you can see it happening. I shared in the 930, um, Kay and I have been married 34 years, and we started out in the church youth group. I've told you that before. And some of our church youth sponsors were here in the 930. They've started coming to church. These are folks we were in youth ministry with 45 years ago, and they've known us for a long time. And... Uh, Uh, they reminded me of the very first youth uh, folks that I work with even uh, after that church. And 
that they got married, this couple, not the one that was sitting here, but the ones who worked with me as a youth director. And I remember thinking, they are such wonderful people. They're deeply intelligent. They, they love the church. They're very committed and involved in the life of their work and the church. Uh, they're just delightful people, except to each other. And they would always be meh, 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 meh at each other. And I remember feeling very uncomfortable with it around them. And Kay and I would occasionally talk, and I actually made a prediction. I said, Kay, their marriage is not going to last. And sure enough, it lasted two years because they were just always picking at each other and having content for one another. It's not helpful in a relationship to always be at each other. You can have disagreements. That would be normal and natural. But the way in which we address them can make all the difference in the world. The wisdom of the Proverbs writer comes at us again in Proverbs chapter 18, where he says, doing wrong leads to disgrace, and scandalous behavior brings content. Here, the scandalous behavior is thinking somehow that I'm better than my spouse, that somehow I can handle things in a better way, or that I can do things more appropriately, or they just can't work this thing out, and so I belittle them, or I give harsh criticism or sarcasm towards them. Gottman's solution for this is quite literally uh, offering respect and appreciation. It's much like what we talked last week about, engendering appreciation. But giving respect, acknowledging that this person brings something to the table, that this person is valuable to me and to the relationship, respect can change everything, can't it? doesn't mean we always agree, but it does mean I, I respect you as a human being, right? and I cherish who you are and what you bring to the table. In some ways, you could call this generosity, that I'm being generous with my life and generous with my understanding of who you are as a person, and I'd love that in return. That's a great way to overcome content. The third horseman that we need to avoid is defensiveness. Defensiveness is that thing that says, oh, I've been challenged. Or, or I'm being sort of called on the carpet, and I sort of either lash out, how dare you call me out on that, or I remember when you did this, or I, I can recall that this happened before, and you were, right? When we get defensive, our cockles get up, and we stand straight up, and we sort of push back, right? Rather than sort of realizing, oh, maybe, maybe there is something to this, or maybe there is something about what you're talking about, and, and we need to talk this through. Defensiveness has never been helpful. You can feel it in an instant, right? When, when our spouse or a good friend or a work colleague gets defensive, you can both see it and feel it in their physical stature, and you can hear it in their voice. They get very determined, they get a little agitated, and they feel as though you're um, challenging them beyond any reasonable doubt, right? Defensiveness has never been helpful in any relationship. And Gottman suggests that the solution for defensiveness is quite literally just taking responsibility. Well, yeah, I, I, I did say that, didn't I? Or, I'm sorry that that happened. I won't let that happen again. I own that that was my fault. I, any number of ways to take responsibility, but the taking of responsibility acknowledges several different things. One is, I actually did that. The other is, I cherish you, and so I'm going to own this. And the third is, it's about vulnerability and transparency. And vulnerability is what makes every relationship real and helpful. And if I keep putting up barriers through my defensiveness, you're never going to know the true me, 
And I'm never really going to get to know you as well as I can because I'm always going to be defending myself and trying to protect whatever territory or whatever, however we want to think about that. That defensiveness will never be helpful. We want to avoid that behavior. The fourth horseman he refers to as um, stonewalling. And this is the one I am the most guilty of most frequently. Stonewalling literally means if there's a problem, I don't want to address it. I don't want to talk about it. I want to go read or I want to go walk or I want to go play golf or I want to go do something else. I'd do anything but face the challenge of whatever the dilemma is. Stonewalling, right? And here's the problem with stonewalling, at least the way I've lived it out. I'll stonewall for a couple of instances that, you know, be small, and I don't really want to address that. Let's just keep going. No, I don't want to deal with that. No, I don't want to deal with that. And I just keep pushing it down. You know what happens when you push that stuff down? It creates combustion, right? And then there's an issue that comes up that's really not a big issue at all, but all of a sudden you go, boom, I don't want to deal with this. What are we talking about? Why are we addressing this? Why are we having to deal with this? And I start yelling and screaming. Has that ever worked well for you? It doesn't work well for me either. But that's what stonewalling can cause, all under the good guise of, well, I don't want to cause turmoil, and I don't want to be a part of conflict, and I don't want to uh, create a problem, right? Or that's no big deal. Well, sometimes it is a big deal, and sometimes it can cause lots of heartache and problems if we don't address it when we ought to address it. So part of what we need to hear is, man, there's a problem. Let's just face it. Let's talk it out. Let's pray about it. Let's deal with it as it comes. The Proverbs writer, likewise, uh, had great wisdom on this. In Proverbs uh, chapter 15, it says, those who ignore instruction despise themselves. Well, sometimes in that conversation, there's some instruction about what we can do, and we ought to take action. It goes on to say, but those who heed the admonition gain understanding. If we'll address the problem, we'll gain all kinds of understanding, either about ourselves or our spouse, and we'll then have a better way forward the next time it happens. Have you ever noticed that um, in marriages, the same problem happens a lot? Maybe that's just our family. But sometimes that's because of this stonewalling. It's because we don't address it, and we just kind of let it hang out over here. What Gottman says is, he uses a strange phraseology, but he says the solution to stonewalling is self-soothing. That's his language. Self-soothing literally just means, okay, take a time out, whatever that looks like, go water the yard or go do something productive and gain one's composure. Figure out a way to re-engage because once you're done with the self-soothing, doing something that's helpful or beneficial, then we have to re-engage because if all we go do is the self-soothing, we're actually still stonewalling, aren't we? So we have to get our composure and come back to the conversation and begin to do something about it. And that's when we gain understanding, and that's when we realize more about ourselves and more about them. The four apocalypse, uh, the four horsemen of the apocalypse is something desperately to be avoided. And I'm convinced that if we will do these four things, it will help deter the possibility of divorce. I happen to believe there are some other behaviors that we need to avoid at all costs. And I'm just going to quickly go over them, but all four of these are issues that demand outside attention and help. We can clearly pray to God. We can clearly read Scripture and begin to decide and discern 
how we need to move forward, but we will also need outside help if any of these four things occur. The first is abuse or neglect. If you are being hit or beaten or kicked or scratched or any of those things, that's not helpful behavior. That is abuse. If someone is belittling you or calling you names or making you feel less than, that is verbal and or emotional abuse. No one needs to live with that. It is unacceptable behavior, and you need help. You either need to get out of the relationship temporarily so that you can find safety, or you need to find outside resources to help abate this. You cannot change that abuser, but you can change your circumstances. The second is what I simply refer to as substance abuse, and substance abuse is any form of addiction, whether it's drugs or alcohol, sex or pornography, food or uh, grocery shopping or gambling any of those things that addict us, because when we are in the addiction, we can't focus on the relationship. And look, I, I know addiction. I have it in my own family. I understand how it controls. And when we live in our addiction, or we're living with someone who can't find recovery from their addiction, there is no way for the relationship to work well. You need outside help. You cannot change the addict. It's impossible. God and that person can change, but you need to change the circumstances surrounding the relationship. The third, of course, is infidelity. This is what Jesus addressed, right? Infidelity breaks a vow. Infidelity breaks our connection. Infidelity breaks our relationship. And it's not just sexual infidelity. It can be emotional infidelity. If I'm relying on another person for all of my emotional stability, not my spouse, that's infidelity. And we need to find a different resource, i.e. our spouse, to rely on and understand, and we might need outside help to make that happen as well. And then finally, uh, financial mismanagement. This can be anything from gambling, somebody in the relationship gambling, to we have radically divergent opinions about how we spend our money. Now, we all have differences of opinion. I saw some of you just now, you know, with your spouses. We all have different ways to deal with money. That's perfectly fine. That's understandable. But if we're so far off base from one another that we can't find mutual agreement, it can tear at the relationship. We need to find outside help to find commonality or find ways forward. Friends, Jesus was clear. Divorce saddens God, and there ought to be only a very minimal number of things that can cause divorce to come to its final fruition. But what we also need to understand is God is there to help us through either the behaviors we need to avoid or the behaviors we need to live into for success. God's love handles it all. And a part of what we need to do as people of faith is offer care and compassion, support and encouragement. When we know someone is on the verge of divorce, we need to be praying for them. When we know somebody is struggling in their relationship, we need to offer a caring, uh, listening ear, right? We need to offer compassion. And certainly, if someone has already faced divorce, we need to be those hands and eyes and ears of Jesus that embrace them and help them to know that God loves them and they are not less than. You see, God's love handles it all. And God's love can make this possible. I'm so happy that we've got a Savior who calls us into relationship and helps us to look at others as if they were made in the image of God and are valuable to our relationship and our connection and can make that connection whole.
I pray that we'll do everything within our power to avoid these four horsemen and that we'll do everything we possibly can to enable love to handle it all. Will you pray with me? Holy and loving God, thank you for the gift of your son Jesus, for the ways that he brings hope and help into our hearts so that we can share that help and that hope with others, most specifically, God, our spouses. Help us, Lord, in the days that lie ahead to emulate your love, to demonstrate your care and compassion, and to share your joy with uh, one another. God, thank you that that is real and true. Help guide us as best we can to avoid divorce and avoid those behaviors that could lead to divorce. May we honor you in all that we do and say. God, this is our prayer. We ask it in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.